This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Zhang with Subversity. Today we're honored to have with us in the studio uh, Ngugi Thiongwao and uh, also uh, Gabi Schwartz. Uh, Schwab, Schwab, sorry. <laughs> They're professors here in, uh, at the university, and uh, Ngugi is head of the translation center. And uh, we're uh, honoring his uh, 70th birthday, and uh, this, uh, on this occasion, there will also be a public event on Saturday with Angela Davis and a bunch of other people who will get more, uh, talk more uh, in, uh, later on in the program. Um, Ngugi is, uh, is from Kenya and was a, a dissident put in prison and uh, escaped, uh, left the country, lived in exile for many years and has been the voice of conscience for what has happened over there. And today's uh, New York Times has a cover story on the killings in Kenya uh, that they were planned. Uh, welcome, Ngugi. The uh, what uh, what do you think about the situation in Kenya today, and what is the role of you of yourself as a writer in confronting uh, crises in society like what's happening in Kenya? You know, uh, <clears throat> first of all, uh, I'm very saddened. Like so many Kenyans, I'm very saddened by the what's unfolding in Kenya uh, because of the accusation or claims and counterclaims of ring during the last elections. You know, what I'd like to say is that each of the candidates got about 4 million votes. So whichever candidate won he or she, he should, he would have to crawl to, uh, to uh, reach out across the political divide. There are demonstrations going on in the streets in Kenya, and this is legitimate. What is not and absolutely not legitimate is for politicians to use the cover or to use those demonstrations as cover for ethnic cleansing. And this is the aspect of the current situation that I feel very strongly about, you know. There should be ethnic cleansing has no place at all in democratic politics. Uh, Disputed elections can be righted by political means, negotiations, talks uh, the co- uh, through the legal process of going to the courts and so on, you know, uh, or through mediation. There can be power sharing. There, there need to be a recounting, you know, uh, of, the, of the votes. You know, um, that's a different thing altogether, and it ought to be gone into thoroughly, uh, nationally and internationally if necessary. Um, but ethnic cleansing, organized by or some politicians at the New York Times uh, has now, you know, uh, stated 
uh, has no place and should be condemned by everybody, uh, by organizations, uh, you know, you know, in the world. Some uh, some observers have argued that this was just tribal, uh, inter-ethnic conflict. That's not correct, right? It's not correct. You know, first of all, people, ordinary people, do not live side by side for many, many years and then wake up one morning and decide that they must now attack their neighbors, you know. And what happened in Eldoret North in Kenya, you know, where... Neighbors, you know, uh, suddenly uh, neighbors attacked neighbors and even burnt those who had gone for refuge in a church. Uh, that could not have come from ordinary people. It had to be something which had been, you know, uh, organized, something which had been pre-planned. Yeah. So it's politics, not uh, ethnic rivalry. Uh, no, not ethnic. You know, of course, ethnicity is always a factor, you know, uh, in political calculations. And in my view, there's nothing wrong or right about it, you know. Uh, it's just like here in America, they talk about Hispanic vote, mm. you know, mm. uh, black vote, you know, uh, Italian vote, and all that, you know. Uh, so I have no particular, you know, uh, objection to uh, people thinking about votes from this region or from this ethnic, you know, uh, community, uh, What's wrong is to run on a program of hatred uh, of another community or to run on a, an ideology that targets another community or run on a program of uh, weakening or rather, you know, of, 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 of what in Kenya we call Majibo regionalism, you know, um, mm. uh, because it inflames, you know, uh, passions. Uh, whose logic, uh, you know, can lead us to even more uh, disasters. Yeah. How how many people have been killed recently? Oh, definitely over six hundred. You know, uh, mm. in condemning, of course, the uh, the ethnic violence. You know, uh, uh, you know, by uh, in areas, you know, uh, in which the opposition is very strong. You know, I also, of course, condemn the uh, reaction of the uh, uh, of the of, of the police. You know, I mean, you know, I, I any killings also by you know uh, the police in reacting to uh, the uh, demonstrations. Uh, the demonstrations are obviously a legitimate way of expressing political passions and so on. You know, but even those must be within, you know, the law and must not be a threat to, you know, uh, people's lives or to their property. Was So was the election rigged? Uh, there are, you know, claims and counterclaims of rigging on both sides, you know. Uh, so we will never know the truth unless there is recounting. And this is what I don't understand, why both sides are reluctant huh. about recounting the votes, you know. Uh, the opposition is even reluctant to go to the courts, which would obviously order a recount, you know. So they can re do recounting, they can do anything, they can talk about it, you know. Uh, but for me, the most obvious route 
is one of uh, recounting and uh, auditing, you know, because all those papers are, are, are there. And then that way we can be sure or we can see where the holes are. Do you see that after is is democracy in a very uh, tentative state there, or how, after you know what has changed that made you go back to visit? But um, what what has changed? What happened? You know, I just put the Kenyan context into uh, the Kenyan history into a context. You know, uh, Kenya was ruled by the British. You know, from about 1895 to 1963 when we got our independence through the armed struggle by Mau Mau, mm. uh, Jomo Kenyatta, you know, was the first president right. of the New Republic of Kenya, you know, and uh, he was quite authoritarian in his uh, ways. He was succeed- succeeded by his vice president, Daniel Arab Moy, who became, who, mm. who, who now raised authoritarianism to the level of dictatorship. For 24 years, <clears throat> He ruled the country, uh, had so many people killed, you know, others in jails, you know, others forced into exile, and I'm one of those who right. were forced into uh, exile. Uh, the Moy dictatorship came to an end around 2002 through an electoral you know, defeat, and uh, at that moment, I declared that I was no longer, you know, uh, in exile, that I could go back. However, when on when my wife, Jeriwangogi, and I returned to Kenya uh, in the year 2004, on August 11, we were brutally attacked in uh, our hotel room by what, by all accounts, was a politically instigated you know, uh, attack or an attack by those who had always been against my position in politics and culture. Yeah. I know. I saw the movie, the documentary, uh on that uh, situation, and it's it's just wrenching to watch. Yeah, the one by Mantia Diawara, you know, and or who is afraid of you know uh, Gogi. So there are always those forces, you know, uh, in Kenya who have never really liked, you know, what you know uh, I stand for. But for me as a writer, I have to always to call it, you know, uh, how I see it through my conscience. In our early book uh, from Beacon Press. You did uh, ask this question. Uh, the book was Barrow of a Pen, Resistance to Repression in Neo-Colonial Kenya. And the f- I think the first sentence of the book, uh, uh, of your chapter, the first chapter is, A time has come when silence before the crimes of the neo-colonial regime in Kenya is collusion with social evil. So silence is... Silence, you know, this is the iron of history. Silence... Uh, before crimes, you know, is collusion without evil. And I was talking this in connection, obviously, with the uh, Moy dictatorship, and that's why I spoke out at the time. But here, in the present day, you know, situation, we have the irony uh, that, you know, uh, the ethnic cleansing that I was talking about is coming from the uh, opposition. And... uh, Mm-hmm. And just in the same way that as I, I speak against uh, atrocities by governments and so on, and I always do so because I hold government to a higher standard, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must also you know, uh, very strongly condemn uh, ethnic cleansing. And that's why I've called for 
United Nations investigations into uh, crimes uh, against humanity uh, in Kenya. The you, point that I've been yeah. making is that the opposition, any political opposition, is a potential government of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So the program they have as an opposition is obviously the program they would actually implement uh, if they came to power, you know. So it is in the interest of the opposition as well to come out very strongly and condemn ethnic cleansing. They must do so. Another thing is that in today's Africa, uh, we must try and scrutinize both government and opposition movement because unlike the opposition movements, you know, it was very clear during the uh, colonial era when it was, when you could say, obviously, the opposition was the <laughs> good <Right>. guy <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the government, whatever it was, was a bad guy, you know, so the, yeah. it was very clear. Uh, but in today's world, it may not always uh, <laughs> be that way. You know, you can have a bad government, yes, but you can also have an opposition movement, you know, uh, which is riddled with uh, contradictions. Yeah. By saying that, do you get accused of being a traitor to the cause? It, you know, an oppo- it depends on what opposition movement, what cause. Yeah, uh, yeah. I cannot, quite frankly, ever, ever, you know, uh, um, side with a cause that targets a particular people because they are of a certain community. For sure. I've always been, and this I never waver because I believe I've always, always in my writings and in my person talked, always talked about the unity of the different peoples of different communities, you know. And even in terms of the world, you know, I always talk about people and their unity, you know, uh, not against their disunity or targeting one community racially, or in this case, ethnically, you know, uh, because they are of a certain color or a certain community. But oppression, yes. I have to oppose oppression. I have to oppose, you know, uh, exploitation, uh, you know. uh, But I cannot condone a poor-on-poor violence. Do you believe this? these outside mediators that are trying to mediate uh, from, uh, I guess, the EU also sent somebody and... Do you think that's going to help? It can help because the two sides must come together. I have held that position that the leaders, for the sake of the country, you know, uh, they must come together. And remember what I said earlier, that each of the candidates got at least 4 million votes. So whoever is incumbent would have to reach across the political divide, you know, yeah. So the challenge we have in Kenya today is one of how shall we heal? How shall we bring the nation, you know, uh, together? You know, how shall we reestablish trust between, you know, the different, you know, uh, uh, communities? Outsiders can help, obviously, by bringing pressure on both sides. You know, uh, what has been wrong in this crisis is a way, uh, uh, for instance, the European, uh, European Union has just taken blindly one side, you know, uh, uh, opposition is right, opposition is right, but what are they, but they are silent about ethnic cleansing. And this makes me sad, you know. They should denounce 
as in cleansing, while at the same time calling for, uh, obviously, political resolution of the, you know, of the, of the, of the, you know, of the, of the situation, you know, uh, and political solution is the correct way, you know, go to the courts, you know, uh, count the votes, you know, uh, audit the votes, you know, uh, call outside, you know, witnesses and so on, you know, do anything to make the process as transparent, you know, uh, as possible. And both sides must be prepared to accept whatever would be the consequences of a recount and uh, re-auditing. Yeah. Do you think it would be very hard to reconcile if, if both sides got together and then decided you know, on some kind of government even? But how would you reconcile what has happened? It will take a long time to uh, bring back the trust, you know, uh, uh, it's very traumatic, you know. Uh, one incident uh, which at least drew international attention was the when uh, some people in Eldoret North, uh, uh, northern part of Kenya, you know, they ran away and went to a church to hide in a church, and uh, the attackers came and touched the uh, the church, and a child escaping from the fire was caught by the same people and hurled back into the flames, uh-huh. you know. Uh, this is, and this incident is just one of many, but that one obviously stands out because no other normal circumstances you protect children, you yeah. know, even children of your enemies, you you protect them, you know. It's one thing we as humans, you know, uh, instinctively, you know, uh, you know, do. You yeah. protect children and the weak, but in this case, a child escaping from the flames is hurled back into the bonfire, you know. And this is in mm-hmm. an area which is controlled by the opposition. So do you see a South Africa as an example of, in terms of reconciliation later, what they did there, the reconciliation yeah, commission? great, you know. Uh, even what happened recently in South Africa where they... They had an ANC conference uh-huh. in which, right. you know, they, they, you know, they voted, you know, right. and brought a new president of the party anyway, you know. Yes. And that's the way it should be, you know, uh, debate, you know, uh, resolutions, uh, having some uh, um, a code of conduct, you know, uh, agreed rules. You have to agree on certain rules of behavior and so on, you know, uh, because political disputes must always be solved politically. And even remember that even when people are actually at the war, yeah. wars are always ended through talking, you know. Uh, through negotiations. Through negotiations, right. you know, and sure. peace treaties, yeah. So what do you see as the, as the prospects at this point in Kenya? I think wisdom <laughs> will prevail because the Kenyan people, as Kenyan people, of all communities, of course, are getting tired, you know, of uh, the killings, you know, and also tired, obviously, of the police response, you know, uh, where, you know, there have also been uh, uh, killings by the agents, you know, uh, of the of the uh, of the state, yeah. and so they are tired of violence from both the opposition and also violence, you know, by the police, you know. So that, 
so they are victims of both, mm. as it were. So this has to come to an end. Ethnic cleansing must be ended, and the international community must come heavily on whoever is instigating those ethnic cleansing uh, practices. Yeah. Is your family in uh, in Kenya? Uh, my part of my extended family is in yeah, Kenya. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, but they are so far they are safe. Yeah, they're safe. Yeah. Do you see the row of uh, as your as you look back on your career? Do you see uh, a consistency in what you've written as a writer in challenging uh, what the state uh, in the past have been doing and now what uh, what uh, these groups have been doing uh, today? Yeah. Um, as a writer, in fact, it's very interesting that you know um, in my uh, in my book. Wizard of the Crow, the one I published recently, it's very interesting that what is happening in Kenya, was unfolding right now, could as well have come out of the pages, you know, of my novel, Wizard mm. uh, of the Crow. And, uh, you know, so as a writer, you know, I feel I've been in the thick <laughs> yeah. of things generally, you know, uh, and that's why I've suffered the consequences of that position by being jailed once in a maximum security prison in 1978 by the Moi dictatorship and, uh, you know, and then forced into uh, exile where I was for 20, about 22 years. And then on returning to Kenya, as I said earlier, we were with my wife, Jerry Wangui, being uh, attacked, you know, uh, literally escaping, barely escaping with our lives. Being raped. Yes, my wife being raped, yes. The the book has humor in it, actually, your book. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal, how how can you be, how can one be humorous in such a, in face of such atrocity? Because you must laugh in order not to cry. The novel is full of humor. Uh, but also, you know, um, um, but the humor is really a mask for tears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I know some cultures, people are smiling, but they actually are suffering inside. And people that are on the outside don't realize that is a mask. Yeah, in an intolerable situation, people make jokes yeah. uh, about that situation. You know, they laugh, you know, even people condemned sometimes they do make humorous, you know, uh, comments, you know, on their, right. you know, situation. So humor is a very important, you know, uh, 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 element, you know, of, you know, struggle against evil. I was going to ask about also about the role of a writer in, you know, if, do you see, uh, you kind of hinted that um, because you are, you are criticizing the opposition, do you see that the role of a writer has some status beyond the politics so that it, even if they are supporting a reactionary side, would you support the writer's right to speak out? Oh, yes. You know, and, I, and when I say, uh, I also criticize the state yeah, the sure, reaction to uh, the uh, demonstrations. You know, I think the demonstrations, as long as people are not breaking the law, yeah. Is a legitimate, you know, uh, weapon or is a legitimate way to express one's own political dissent. And that that right should be protected by the 
government not be uh, you know not be punished you know or so i criticize you know uh, both sides the where i draw the line quite frankly is over ethnic cleansing you know mm-hmm. that one if i that one i can never accept is not legitimate it's a crime against humanity the other ones you know people can protest can can even bring down a government you know can do anything you know uh, as long as it's not targeting one community you know uh, as a as as a community that is to blame and my position has been as a writer I've been saying this you know a poor person say a poor luo in kenya and a poor kikuyu and a poor kamba say a poor of any one community is in the same identical position as a poor in any other you know community a landless person is in the same position as any other landless position irrespective of the community they come from you know a worker and a small farmer are in the same identical position as a worker and a farmer in any other you know uh, you know uh, community you know so you don't instigate uh, so th- some landless farmers attack other landless farmers you know uh, some poor people attack other poor people you know uh, or a worker attacking another worker you know uh, you know uh, that's really what I'm against because I'm for the unity of the uh, those forces and it has to be a change in society is a change that um, enhances the lives you know of ordinary people you know and I've argued not only about Kenya but even here in the states and in the world that too, for, too, for too long development has been measured from the point of view of those who are at the top of the mountain and my position has always been and still will be that development must be viewed from the standpoint of those who are at the bottom of the mountain because when you're at the top of the mountain your view is very different mm-hmm. from that of the person who is at, at the bottom of the uh, of the of the mountain but what you call progress or or economic progress often means the progress of a few yeah, you yeah. know a, a few social classes you know it doesn't necessarily mean you know uh, the economic betterment and social betterment you know of the person who is at the bottom of the mountain this applies to kenya it applies to america it applies that's how i look at the world myself yeah, yeah. so if a if a writer writes about the people at the top of the mountain you're not interested in no you can write about the, about the, about the mountain but uh and we do you know i mean writers of course you write at the about the people at the top of the mountain. Oh, to critique it, yeah. yeah but you then to look at their relationship. Right. The relation between those at the top of the mountain or those at the bottom of the, and those at the bottom of the mountain. And those at the top of the mountain, are they at the top of the mountain because they are climbing on the shoulders of those who are at the bottom of the mountain? You know, or is the relationship then that becomes, you know, uh, uh, that I critique. So if the writer was just supporting the people at the top, you wouldn't have any sympathy for that? person's writing uh no i won't you know but i think writers generally you know i have yeah. because of the nature of their craft you know uh 
have a way of uh, making those you know uh, connections uh, connections yeah 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 so do you, do you want to read something from your text uh, we're back at uh, KUCI here on subversity program with Dan Sang uh, we're talking with uh, Young Ugugi uh, Chiongo and uh, also Gabi uh, Schwab will be uh, joining us and talking about the program uh, that's uh, coming up on Saturday, a big birthday bash for uh, Gugi, who's uh, celebrating his 70th birthday. Yeah. Um, yes, um, in, as a writer, of course, I try to understand processes you know, through you know, writing and um, these are some of the things I've been trying to write down, you know, just to uh, express my own, you know, personal feelings about what has been going on, you know, uh, uh, you know, particularly the dance of absurdity which has been going on, you know, in Kenya, and which really starts, you know, not through, uh, not during the elections, but literally over the counting of the results, you know, uh, for instance. An elections chief declares a winner, then claims he no longer knows the true presidential winner. This is particularly unfortunate for our country because a smooth transfer of power to an undisputed winner would have been the crowning glory of the political maturity of Kenyan people. Now, unfortunately, we may never know the whole truth. And there will always be a question mark on the, legit, on the legitimacy of the incumbent. Those who voted for his opponent particularly will always feel that an, ele- an ele- electoral ro- robbery denied them um, you know, uh, a victory. People, both inside Kenya and outside Kenya, should not, of course, underestimate the depths of the feelings or be outraged that some have gone on demonstrations to protest uh, the wrong they perceive. In my view, it's the people's fundamental right to protest a wrong and it's all legitimate. What is not legitimate, what is, inex- what is inexcusable and completely unacceptable is for politicians uh, uh, to use uh, the occasion of a vote dispute to implement ethnic cleansing as happened in Eldoret North and other places. Neither can killing of legitimate protesters by police and government agents be justified unless they break the law uh, and seriously threaten the life of other citizens. Pain, fear, and uncertainty deepen daily on both sides of the political divide as the nation pleads with the leaders to please talk and agree on something, anything, to end their impasse and bring back peace with justice. Kenyans now wonder, are these leaders compassionate enough, visionary enough to set aside their various power plays and start seeking common ground in the interests of, of a just peace and a more united Kenyan nation. Ethnic cleansing must stop. Street violence from the opposition 
men from the security forces must stop. The leaders must call for the end of violence by their followers clearly, firmly, and unequivocally. They then must commit to having the claims and counterclaims of rigging looked into and uh, righted by political, legal, diplomatic means. That is, it can be recounting, auditing, whatever it takes to close the political divide. For what may be lost in the claims and counterclaims of victor and vanquished is the undisputed fact that the race and the race was closed. Each got four million votes at least. Whoever would be would have emerged as the clear and undisputed winner, he still would have had to reach out across the political divide. So talking negotiations uh, would ultimately be the way to go. How did you come to that realization that of uh, that conflict doesn't solve anything, or uh, fighting doesn't solve no. anything? Yeah, fighting. You see, it's like you see when you get uh, people fighting it out in the streets. You know, uh, it's not solving anything because in the end, uh, political differences can only be solved by political dialogue. There's no other way, you know, there has to be a political dialogue at one time, you know, or other, and the leaders must come to the table and be willing to uh, negotiate. But, but the most important, they must be willing to say, okay, you know, there's a dispute about tallying, because in the elections, by the way, nobody, everybody, including the international community, had really praised the way Kenyan people conducted themselves. So nothing went wrong in the process of voting. What went wrong it is in the process of counting the votes. You know, so it seems to me that the simplest way is fast forward to go back and count the votes, audit the votes, you know, uh, uh. then go to the courts. If one is not satisfied, then go to the courts, you know, and use the, ex, you know, exhaust all possibilities within political institutions, you know, uh, before you even go to the streets, you know. And if you go to the streets, it's to protest the wrong, not to, uh, uh, not to kill other people, not to, uh, to, uh, to destroy uh, property, uh, not to, uh, you know, to bring harm, you know, uh, to others, you know. Uh, and the police reaction should be to protect, you know, demonstrations, you know, uh, rallies and so on, uh, unless those rallies threaten other people's lives, you know, uh, or other people's property. But was there a time in this, you know, the anti-colonial struggle, for instance, the Mau Mau resorted to arms, of course, against the British? Yeah, but that's all long after exhausting every venue, every political venue possible. Uh, uh, during the colonial era, people tried to form. During the colonial era, people tried to form political organizations, for instance, in, in Kenya. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the way, what they call ethnicity or tribalism was invented by colonialism yeah, generally. Yeah. You know, for instance, when the 
the, in the colonial invasion of Kenya and other parts of Africa, the imperial armies would ally with one community against other communities. You know, oh. in other words, they employed you know, uh, uh, the policy of uh, divide and rule. You know, uh -huh. so uh -huh. they would come and ally with one community, then they would go and invade another community, not because there was a dispute, <laughs> but <laughs> for the sake of you know conquest. You know. Uh, and of course, this bitterness, you know, uh, remained. Then after they established a colonial state, like in Kenya, they made sure that Africans within the territory would never form a social organization or political organization on national basis. They wanted every political organization to be, or social organization, to be on ethnic basis. Oh. In the case of Kenya, the white settlers could form a nationally based uh, organization, but for Africans, they had to form um, political societies uh, that stayed within the boundaries, you know, of their, you know, uh, community. Um, so, the colonials invented the term tribal wars, <laughs> and later they invented the term uh, tribalism, yeah, as a way of defining African you know, uh, political realities. The other thing which is an inheritance of colonial, the other thing which is an inheritance from the colonial uh, state was an, what do you call, an uneven economic development. Meaning some regions, particularly mm -hmm. those which surrounded uh, the city and so on, of course became, you know, uh, were more highly developed than those which were, you know, far removed from the city center. But in a country where uh, regions coincide with ethnicities and so on, it means that some communities may have benefited more from whatever development there was, you know, uh, than you know, others. But there was also social and even social development, meaning that it's only the small elite at the top, you know, of each community who benefited from these, you know, uh, you know resources because of their proximity to good jobs or reasonably paid jobs and... Uh, and some property and so on. Now, at independence, we inherited the, both uh, the problems of an uneven geographic development, you know, uh, and of uneven, you know, uh, social development. Meaning, socially, a small group from all communities, you know, benefited, uh, and development tended to favor those the social middle class, you know. Uh, uh, at the expense of the working uh, people and, and, and the small farmer, you know, and so on. And these are genuine problems. They are genuine problems which we inherited from, you know, uh, uh, colonialism and which the various governments in Kenya have not been able, you know, uh, 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 to solve, you know. You know, I grew up in a British colony also and um, in Hong Kong and I got a British education in Hong Kong, um, or Anglo-Chinese education. Do you feel that it's possible to be educated by the colonizers and yet use the tools to dismantle the house? Yeah, we all do. Education is always um, uh, education, which I presume means also knowledge. You know, uh, is always um, uh, has uh, is always two-sided. 
yeah. you know, uh, For sure. because education as a whole is a process of uh, integrating the recipients of that, you know, uh, society into the existing social order. That's fine. But then when you know how to read and write, for instance, you know, you begin to find contradictions in the, that social order. And uh, so if, for instance, as in Kenya and other African countries, people were taught to read and write in order that they might be able to read, you know, uh, the Bible uh, seriously and be able to read the you know, colonial orders uh-huh. and so uh-huh. on. But once that knowledge of being able to read and write, you know, uh, uh-huh. means also that you are able to read the Bible for, for yourself. You are able to read the Quran for yourself, you know. You are able to read the labor contract and interpret it now, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in terms of your own in interest, you know, uh, and and so on, you know. You can say a colonial state might impose, say, a language like English or, mm-hmm. or French, but when you do that, you also mean it also means that you have the the language to read French texts and the knowledge to read, you know, English texts, you know, and they are not all uniform. You get a whole range mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of. Uh, political and philosophical view philosophical views you know in say uh, english literature you know french literature chinese literature you know and uh, you may find that that some of that literature does reflect your own you know uh, uh, situation yes you can you know um, get an education uh, but you can also uh, get the knowledge that enables you to fight against the negative you know uh, aspects of that in inheritance yeah so it's not a burden uh, i mean people can pe- people don't necessarily get co-opted by getting a colonial education not uh, they are contra- you see they are <laughs> they'll be co-opted except that you know in the so in the real life that they lead eh? yeah they may find contradictions between the real life they lead and the 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 tenets, you know, or the values that have been expounded in the education system, you know. Um, I see. And yeah. it's the real life that puts question marks on any education system, you know, on any knowledge, you know. Uh, an example is here in America, for instance, where, you know, Africans were brought here and uh, into the plantation. Their languages were literally denied in the drum or they banished from the you know uh, you know from the from from the from the plantation the bible was the only text that they had you know but out of that you know people here african people here they developed you know other forms sure. you know so from the english language they carved their own type of language you know uh, and out of that language what they call ibonics you know uh, come came out the greatest spirituals in world history, you know, um, uh, they came out blues from that, you know, yeah. tradition, you see. So, um, people, because the real life that we live uh, brings out the contradictions, you know, uh, the, uh, yeah, yeah. they can also use the education to actually fight against what's been negative, what's negative in their, um, uh, experiences so for instance if you read a text that tells you that you are ha- you're not hungry <laughs> or your, <laughs> full, your tummy is full or whatever you know yeah, but yeah. in reality your tummy is not full sure. or you're hungry no amount of text <laughs> 
will convince you that you are not hungry. So mentally you may say, yes, the book is telling me that I'm not hungry. But the reality of being hungry tells you that the book is lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know you're not you're still hungry. Yeah. We're doing this on the Martin Luther King Day and um what what do you what's your um what do you see uh in Martin Luther King? Uh, uh his dream, <laughs> you know. Uh because Martin Luther King, you know, not only talked about the uh, oppression, you know, uh, of black people, but he also talked about the unity of those who are downtrodden, you know. And for even during the Vietnam era, he was able to see right. the connections between uh, the um, oppression of black people in the states, you know, and the oppression of Vietnamese people, and so on. In other words, he was able to link. Um, many processes, you know, uh, together, yeah. and that's why his dream speech, as well, captures people of all, you know, uh, races, you know, and and classes. Yeah, yeah. He, because basically yeah. he's talking about, he's basically talking about unity against certain uh, oppressive or repressive, you know, Forces. practices, yeah. you know, be they of racism, you know be they of, uh, you know, of, of gender, you know, be they of uh, economic, you know, uh, of economic, you know, uh, repression of others and so on. So he was able to, his dream speech is able to bring all those elements, you know, uh, together, you know. That's why he's so important, you know, in uh, not only in American history and practice, but also in world history. And not he got, only in the terms yeah. of the past, but also in terms of the present. And he got more radicalized as the years went by and tried to link up mm. all these different elements. Yes, he was able to begin to see, to, because the, he, was, he was able to see the system yeah. uh, in the world, you know, that is, is like he, he was more saying that the child who is um, the system that oppresses a child in Mississippi is basically the same system that oppresses a child in uh, other parts, you know, uh, of the world. You know, it's really the same thing, you know. Yes. Uh, this Saturday, there will be this uh, celebration of your birthday. Uh, happy birthday, Ngugi. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and it's called Ngugi's uh, Spirit. It's going to be at the Crystal Cove Auditorium on the 26th, starting at 5.30 in the afternoon uh, on Saturday uh, at UC Irvine's campus. Yeah, uh, thanks, Dan, for giving us airtime and a chance to speak about this event. I am Gabriele Schwab. I'm a Chancellor's Professor and Chair of Comparative Literature, which is Googie's home department. Right. And I've co-organized the event with David Goldberg, who is also a Professor of Comparative Literature and Director of the Humanities Research Institute. And we have a, a great number of speakers, performers, musicians, poets, dancers. Uh, the event starts uh, with the Chancellor, Michael Drake, um, saying a few opening words. Uh, then the Kenyan ambassador to the UN, who is flying in for the event. 
Our first speaker is Angela Davis, followed by Mukoma Vagugi, who is Gugi's son and also a poet and political writer and activist. Um, the next uh, poet will be Simon Ortiz, one of the most acclaimed Native American poets and writers. And um, followed by this opening event will be a book signing uh, where Gugi will be present, sign uh, his new book, The Wizard of the Grow. And um, there is a reception which is actually hosted by the Vice-Chancellor. And uh, then we have a Nassau poetry event opened by the Dean of the Humanities, Vicky Ruiz. And there will be Jack, uh, Jerry Quigley reading from, most people know him from KPFK, and then Sonia Sanchez, uh, who already has a great following at yeah. UCI because she was here before. And then the final event will be with Lou Sola and uh, Coffee Coco. It's a music dance performance. <coughs> Lou Sola is a very famous composer. Chinese composer and singer, and she's also a writer, has written several novels, and Kofi Koko is one of the most famous yeah. African dancers. So we really hope that the community comes out to celebrate Guki and the importance of his work and activism for this event, and we thought it was uh, very important to mark this important occasion. Thank you, Gabi. Uh, and the event is free? The event is free, and we hope very much that it is also an event that can reach out to the public. We have widely advertised it, and we hope that the community comes out, because I know that Googie has a lot of uh, people who know and admire his work, in the community, and um, we welcome everybody. How did you... Uh, the, it's sponsored by a lot of groups, right? So funding yeah, came from a lot of... It's uh, support. sponsored by yeah. a lot of groups. Perhaps I should say first that most of the speakers, poets, and performers have donated uh, their time and their work for Googie's birthday. It's oh, more wow. or less a birthday present for Googie. But still, these events are very expensive nonetheless, and... Everybody came forward. Uh, it's co-sponsored by the Humanities Research Institute, the Office of the Vice-Chancellor, the Humanities Dean, and then many departments uh, came forward. F foremost, of course, complete right. Googie's yeah. Home Department, but also English, other departments in the Humanities, the Department of Music, and then also the Critical Theory Institute and the Critical Theory Emphasis because uh, we, we also honor Googie's role in critical theory. Um, after all, he's one of the first prominent post-colonial theorists that we have. So everybody came together to make this possible. I know it's very hard to get... Um uh, Angela Davis <laughs> to go, uh, go get away to go to places. Yeah, so that's I know. Amazing. It's it's particularly hard for her because she has so many commitments. Yes, but uh, she is also a great admirer of Googie's. 
She has come out uh, before for a NASA event I organized for Googie and Jerry Vagoogie and um, Angela Davis was oh, yeah. uh, with uh, Jerry in, in an afternoon event. She generously just uh, without hesitation said, of course, I want to be there. And let me also say that it will be Angela Davis's actual birthday on the oh, 26th oh, really? of January. So <laughs> okay. we can... Celebrate two birthdays, yeah. And she's uh, definitely, she's not 70. Yeah, no, <laughs> but she's not 70. She's not 70. Yeah. And also, you know, Sonia Sanchez, yeah. who oh, wow. many uh, of the yes. people know, uh, it's the birthday of her twins. <laughs> so, oh, okay, so that's wow. a great. Yeah. Birthday. Yeah, the birthday bash, yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. mm. Wow, that's really wonderful. Mm. Well, I want to thank you both for coming here uh, and talking about uh, serious events in Kenya, but also to announce this uh, birthday celebration of Googie's uh, 70th birthday. Um, and I hope you uh, many, many more years uh, uh, of doing this wonderful work. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps we should add that it uh, can be found, the announcements, the program, and the campus maps with directions on many websites, for example, the complete website. And, complete website. Um, uh, as of venues, it's widely advertised, but it's in the Crystal Cove Auditorium starting at 5.30. And it's uh, Googie's uh, Spirit, N-G-U-G-I apostrophe S, Spirit. Yeah. So you could Google that and definitely in find Googie's it. Spirit, yeah. In Googie's Spirit, yeah. In Googie's Spirit at the UC Irvine's Crystal Cove, yeah, yeah, on Saturday, starting at 5.30. Yeah. So it should be packed. Okay. Yes. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, and thank as, you, and as, and as I said, people who want to know about the Kenyan situation was unfolding should also look at my book, Wizard of the Crow, which in some ways had a... Predicted it. I predicted a lot of that kind of chaos, yeah. For sure. Thank you.